0: We are in the middle of a series talking about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And just a little recap here. Uh, we've talked about who is the Holy Spirit. we talked about what His role is. we talked about the topic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And last week we talked about the Holy Spirit in prayer. If you have missed any of those you can go to realityventura.com, click on sermons, and get up to date there. But today, we are pivoting, and we are beginning to talk for the next few weeks about the gifts of the Spirit, what they are, why God gave them, why we need them, and how they are to be used. If you have a Bible, you should be open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If not, it will be up on the screen. Uh, Just FYI, we're skipping verses 2 and 3, just for the sake of time. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, workings of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. This is God's word for us this morning. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for not leaving us as orphans, but for leaving us your Spirit. And we want, for our lives and for our communities and for your glory, the fullness of what you have in our lives. We want the fullness of the Spirit moving in our lives for your glory, Lord. And we want everything that you have. And if part of that is gifts, then we say yes and amen. Help our hearts to receive that which you have for us today, both by way of the gifts of the Spirit and also, Lord, we just ask that you would teach us things that you want to today. Thank you that you know how to speak to each individual heart. And so I give my mind and my heart and my lips to you and ask that you would help me to get out of the way and you to communicate truth. I want to I help with my words. I want to help you accomplish your purpose. Help in accomplishing your purpose. Lord, we ask that you would do this for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul begins here in this passage that we just read, saying, I do not want you to be ignorant, my brothers and sisters. And this isn't the only time that Paul uses this phrase, I don't want you to be ignorant. He uses it a few other times in the New Testament. Every time he uses it, it's always because there is ignorance surrounding the subject he's talking about. And certainly that is the case with the gifts of the Spirit. And there is ignorance often on both sides of the issue. There are people who are ignorant of the fact that they are gifts of the Holy Spirit or that they are available for the Christian today. And there are people who use the gifts and know that they are for the Christian today but are ignorant concerning their proper and scriptural use. And Paul is to the Corinthian church, right in the Corinthian church, where it seems like there's no lack of spiritual gifts. But... They were misusing some of them and misunderstanding some of them. So he writes to clarify some things, which we are thankful for because now we have a biblical guideline for the proper use of the gifts of the Spirit. So we're going to take the next few weeks to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. We're not going to go into depth on every single one. There's a lot. We're not going to go into depth on every single one. Some of them are pretty self-explanatory. But some of them have a little bit more mystery surrounding them. Some of them are more likely to be misused or misunderstood. And so those ones we're going to be diving into. We're going to be diving into prophecy and words of knowledge and the discerning of spirits and tongues and miracles. But today... We're just going to lay the groundwork for all of that. And I'd like to do that by asking nine questions. Number one, what are the gifts of the Spirit? Simply put, the gifts of the Spirit are special abilities provided by the Holy Spirit to Christians for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. Simply put, the gifts of the Spirit are God-enabling believers— to do what he calls us to do. Second Peter 1 says that God's divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And this is part of that divine power. That is part of that, I'm sorry, that everything that God has given us. The gifts of the Spirit. If you're looking for a list of, okay, what are the gifts? Uh, I don't have, I'm not going to go through that today. I would direct you to Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, or 1 Peter 4 if you want to do a little digging there. Question number two, are the gifts of the Spirit, including the miraculous ones, for today? Or did they cease with the apostles? I'm going to spend several minutes on this topic here because there is a a big movement within uh, evangelical Christianity um, that is grown in fervor and passion that would come against... All that has to do with the miraculous manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the church. So I'm going to spend a few minutes, several minutes here actually, talking about this. Are the gifts of the Spirit including the miraculous ones for today, or did they cease with the apostles? Simple answer, yes, they are for today, but let me explain. There are some who would believe that the gifts, specifically the miraculous gifts like prophecy, word of knowledge, gifts of healing, miracles, tongues, are not for today. This doctrinal view is called cessationism. But, I'm sorry, rather, cessationism says God could do miraculous things. He could maybe even do them through people, but he doesn't. And if he does, it is not often, certainly not normal, nor should we expect it to be. They would say that The miraculous manifestations of God were intended for the apostles in order to birth the church and in order to write the New Testament. And when the apostles died, so did those gifts. But we do not believe that the Bible even implies, certainly doesn't teach this. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he has not changed since 2,000 years ago. And God's purpose for the church has not changed since the early church. Nor has the world been fully redeemed yet. And so there is still a need for supernatural power and gifts. And that need has not gone away. Here's the deal. Miraculous signs and wonders and gifts like prophecy and words of knowledge did a couple of things in the early church. One, they legitimized that Jesus was who the Christians were saying he was. God was demonstrating his power to the world through the church. Paul said, I, I'm not coming to you with eloquence of words, but with a demonstration of power. And this was the power that testified of Jesus being risen. And they needed this demonstration of power, as do we. First Corinthians 4.20 says, the kingdom of God does not consist of word, but of power. Now, The other thing the miraculous gifts did was that it proved the apostles were the apostles. 2 Corinthians 12 uh, says that if you're an apostle, you're going to perform signs and wonders. But cessationism would make a hard, fast jump from there and say that if the apostles performed signs and wonders in order to prove that they were the apostles— then only the apostles perform signs and wonders. That would be what, what we would call circular reasoning, but there is just no biblical backing for that. And if that was true, then why did 120 people in Acts chapter two, the majority of whom were not apostles, begin to speak in other tongues, one of the miraculous "quote unquote" gifts of the Spirit? And if only the apostles were intended to have the miraculous gifts, then Paul would not have written a letter to the entire church in Corinth to instruct them on how to use these gifts. He would have just talked to the apostles about it. And Paul would not have said it in that letter that everyone should desire all of the gifts, especially prophecy. Not just the apostles, but everyone. Now, he does not say that everyone will have every gift, so not all Christians are going to prophesy or perform signs and wonders on a regular basis. But to conclude then that only the apostles would have these gifts is unbiblical at best. Furthermore, when describing spiritual gifts in the New Testament, Paul does not make a distinction between miraculous gifts and other gifts. You could make an argument they're all miraculous because they come from a miraculous, supernatural God. And it is wrong, disrespectful, unfaithful, and I believe honestly outright dishonoring to God and his word to try to do so. Cessationism would also say that prophecy was given to the apostles for the purpose of writing the New Testament. And now that the canon of Scripture has been completed, there is no more need for God to speak outside of Scripture. And so, any so-called prophecy would then compete with Scripture. Here's the problem with that. Those who were prophesying and operating in the gift of prophecy in the early church— would have had the same problem then. Their prophetic words could have then competed with Scripture. And we don't see Paul saying, don't, don't, don't prophesy, it's going to compete with Scripture. In fact, he's saying, I wish that more of you, I wish that more of you would prophesy. Additionally, as we will see in the coming weeks, the gift of prophecy is never to be used in place of Scripture, nor would a legitimate prophetic word ever compete with Scripture, but rather work in consonance with Be confirmed by and submitted to Scripture. If we were going to be concerned about a gift of the Spirit competing with Scripture, honestly, it should be the gift of teaching. And I say that with like a weight, right? Because that's what I'm doing up here, is I'm teaching. That's what Paul warned against. He warned against false teaching. But those who teach these things um, and have the gift of teaching, they're, they're not saying oh, well, my gift competes with, with Scripture too. But rather, no, 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 it's, it's gifts like prophecy and words of knowledge. Those are illegitimate. Those could compete. Those are illegitimate or, or worse. The last big argument of cessationism refers to 1 Corinthians thirteen, eight through 10, which says that where there are tongues and where there are prophecies and knowledge, they will all cease. They will all stop. And he tells us when they will stop. And he says, When that which is perfect has come. This word perfect, as it often is in the New Testament, means complete. When that which is complete has come. In other words, when all the things are completed, then these gifts will cease. Cessationism would say then that the phrase... When all that is perfect has come, when when these things are completed, is referring to Scripture being finished, the New Testament canon being completed. Miraculous gifts were given to prove that the apostles had authority and for the purpose of writing the New Testament. And after the New Testament is done being written, then the gifts will no longer be necessary and will therefore cease. But the completion of all things that Paul is talking about is not talking about the canon of Scripture being written. That's not the completion of all things. The completion of all things is when Jesus returns and makes all things new. And it is at that time that there will be no more need for God to speak or for special gifts or power to be given. But until then, God's gifts are are being given, and not just some of them, all of them, and to say that these gifts have ceased or that some are illegitimate is an attempt to try to amputate those in the body of Christ who have these gifts. I've even heard these, these gifts referred to as demonic, demonic manifestations, and therefore useless in the body of Christ. But this kind of teaching is divisive, combative, judgmental, and has at best a weak biblical underpinning. We're talking about the same Jesus here, guys as 2,000 years ago. We're talking about the same Spirit that has baptized us into the same body as the early church. And then the same need, therefore, for supernatural power because we are living in the same type of wicked and perverse generation. There is the same type of corruption in the world. There is the same type of lostness in the world. So then the same need for Jesus to be glorified and for the good news to move forward. And so then the same need for supernatural power and gifts to testify of the good news of Jesus. And to equip us who have been given the responsibility of spreading the good news of Jesus. And listen, nobody has the right, nobody has the right to say what gifts are or aren't for you. And you are on dangerous ground when you start making yourself like the gatekeeper in the house of God. Nobody gets to stand at the banqueting table of God and tell his kids what food at the table they're allowed to eat. Or like, hey, that food, though, that's not for you. Those were for some other Christians a couple of thousand years ago. But you guys, you're a different breed of Christian. You're like a different class of Christian. What the New Testament says is that for the church. That's, that's not you. That's not you. That was like a special, a special breed of Christian. Nobody gets to stand at God's banqueting table like a, 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 a watchdog or like a gatekeeper and do that. God gives, God gives and distributes his good gifts to his kids as he sees fit. And you're on dangerous ground if you try to make yourself that person. However, if that's you. I love you. And if you know somebody like that, listen, this is the body of Christ. And though we may differ on on things that are like important to us and like mean a lot to us, these are brothers and sisters. And so we ought to treat one another with the grace, love, and patience that God in Christ has treated us with and with the same honor that we would hope to be treated with. So that's my long way of answering the question of the gifts for today with an emphatic yes. That was a long one. The rest won't be that long. Number three, for what purpose are the gifts of the Spirit given? There's three of them. First of all, the gifts of the Spirit are given to strengthen others in their faith. If you were to just start reading the New Testament, the first place where you'd come to the phrase gifts of the Spirit would be in Romans chapter 1. Paul, writing to the church in Rome, says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift... To strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. The translation, impart to you some spiritual gift, is misleading because it sounds like Paul wants to give them something or wants them to receive something. But what it actually says, what it actually means, is that Paul wants to give them something and for them to benefit from his gifts. In other words, I long to see you that I may use my gifts to strengthen you. What we learn from this text is that spiritual gifts are given for the strengthening of others. This, of course, doesn't mean that we don't get to enjoy them, those who have the gifts or benefit from them. But it does suggest that gifts are given to be given, as is the case with everything given to us in the kingdom of God. Gifts are not given, nor is anything given in the kingdom of God, to be hoarded. In fact, the gifts are almost exclusively for the benefit of others. Paul says here, I desire to share with you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. He's not referring to bodily strength, but rather a strength of faith, the strengthening of of someone by your spiritual gifts means to help them in their faith, to not give way when the storms come, but rather to bolster up their faith. The gifts are given to help one another in the faith. And God uses us, church, God uses us, his body to do this. He uses us to accomplish this work in the church. The gifts of the spirit are how God intended to provide what each member of the body needs through us. That's, I know, like, Lord, you could use somebody else better than me. I get it. I get it. Like, you could find a better tool, Lord. Like, I'm a hammer that's kind of like got the, like, the shaft broken off. Like, I get it. But God says, no, 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 dude. I like using broken, jacked up stuff. I use the foolish and base things of the world to do the crazy stuff. I get it. But this is how God wants to do it. Second purpose is for the distribution of God's grace gifts of the Spirit are given for the distribution of God's grace. 1 Peter 4, 10-11 says, As each one has received a gift, employ it for one another. Literally, serve it up to one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The picture, I'll read the rest later, but the picture that we have here is like a household with variously talented stewards in it who are given the owner's funds to administer. The house is the church. The stewards are all of us. The various talents are our varied gifts. And the funds are God's grace. And the administration is the exercise of our gifts. And the most beautiful part of this comparison is the analogy between the owner's funds and God's grace. Imagine an organization that has a board, And that board receives in funds. And it is their job then to take those funds and to distribute them as there is need. That's the way that we should think about our responsibility in the church. We receive God's grace. And it is our responsibility to disperse this grace to others. And the vehicle by which we make these disbursements is our spiritual gifts. So what should be happening at Reality Ventura and in the church as a whole is we should be waking up more and more aware to the grace of God poured out into our lives. And then we should be more and more looking for ways, creative ways and opportunities to distribute that grace to others by using our spiritual gifts. That's good, right? Like what? Hold on. God gives us money. It's grace. God gives us Funds, it's grace. So that, and he's like, now go, go distribute it. Like what if you just knew a billionaire and he was like, yeah, all I want you to do is just take my billions and go give it to people. I heard, what's that country dude's name? Brad Paisley, lives in Santa Barbara. My, my sister was at, at, uh, at French Press yesterday. And Brad Paisley walked in and was like, I'm buying everybody coffee. Who wants coffee? Right? If you had money, you should do that. God's got everything in the world, and he says, I'm giving it to you so that you can distribute it, and the distribution comes by us using our gifts. The third purpose, the gifts are given for the glory of God. We just read it in 1 Peter, uh, or no, we, we skipped it, but at the end of 1 Peter, it says that these things are given in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. This means that God's aim in giving us gifts and in giving us the faith to exercise the gifts is that his glory might be displayed. And he wants to do this not only in the church, but also outside of the church. Even as we see like in stories like in Acts chapter 3, when the lame man is healed, and they're like, what happened, Peter? And Peter says, this is the power of God. He's telling all these people outside of the church, this is the power of God. And it was the gift of healing in operation That began to give glory to God. The manifestation and utilization of the gifts of the Spirit are tools in the hands of God to demonstrate His power and authority to those who would otherwise never see or know it. Number four, who are the gifts of the Spirit for? You're like, man, that sounds cool, but is that for me? The gifts of the Spirit are for every single believer. We read it earlier, but in 1 Peter 4, 10, it says, As each one has received a gift. Each one. As each one has received a gift. The gifts of the Spirit are not for a select few. They are for all. And not every believer has every gift, but every believer does have a gift. You may not be aware of it. You may not be awakened to it. You may have walls up and pride and sin and whatever, so you're not like flowing in it. But every believer has a gift. And every member of the body with his or her specific gift or gifts should find joy in discovering what those things are and then using those gifts to accomplish their purpose in the body. Every member has a vital purpose in the body, and God has given each one a gift to fulfill that purpose. And there are no certain gifts that should elicit more praise than others, nor are there certain spiritual gifts that uh, are markers of more spiritual prowess or maturity. 1 Corinthians 12 says that the Holy Spirit gives each one as he sees fit. And just like my hands should not get the credit for being able to play the guitar well, but rather my brain for telling my hands exactly what to do, so the members of the body should not get credit for their gifts, but rather the head who is Christ. And every member with his or her gifts must be under the control, influence, and direction of the head who is Christ. It is the Spirit who gives the gifts as he sees fit, and it is by his power that these gifts are activated and made active. It's by God. And so there is nothing to boast about here. Philippians 2.13 says that it is God who even works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Number five, how do I get a gift of the Spirit? You're like, that sounds good. How do I get it? This may sound sarcastic or silly, but by the Spirit giving you one when he wants, how he wants. We read it at the very beginning of the sermon, but 1 Corinthians 12, 11 ends by saying that the Holy Spirit distributes gifts to each one as he wills. He does it when he wants, how he wants. And by the very nature of it being a gift, it means that it's not something that can be earned or bought or bargained for. It is according to to grace, Romans 12 says that both the gifts we have and the faith to exercise them are given to us by God in varying measure. Paul says there that not everyone receives the same gifts or the same number of gifts, and that not everyone receives the same level of faith to walk in those gifts. But what Paul is also doing in this passage in Romans is helping us to think rightly about ourselves and not too highly of ourselves. The gifted are always in danger of pride. It was a problem in Corinth when Paul wrote there, maybe a problem in Rome as well. So Paul uncovers this profound truth here that's intended to blow away pride. It's intended to blow away boasting and self-reliance. He says in verse 6 of Romans 12 that I'm referring to that we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. In other words, any Holy Spirit ability that distinctly sets you apart from others is because of grace. That is, it is freely given and not earned or deserved, so we can't boast in it. You can't boast in the receiving of it. You can't boast in the faith that you have to exercise it, nor can you boast in the fact that you even have it at all. Like it says in Deuteronomy 8, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. So, the gifts of the Spirit are gifts. Our job is to humbly receive and walk in them. However, Scripture does say in 1 Corinthians 12 that we ought to eagerly desire them. So while they are given as a gift, we should desire and ask God to give us gifts of the Spirit as He sees fit for his glory and purpose. Number six, how do I know what gifts of the Spirit I have, and does it matter? I'm not sure if you were, like, around following Jesus in the, like, late 90s, early 2000s, but if you were, you remember there was this craze about, like, spiritual gifts tests, right? Everybody was taking them. I was my spiritual gift? It was like the Christians, like, spiritual version of Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram or the DISC test. Like, what? God, somebody just tell me what I am, right? Everybody's taking these tests. And that's why I I included the second part of that question, does it matter? So here's the deal. I'm going to address the first part first. If the primary reason the gifts are given is for the strengthening and distributing of grace to others, then I think what we ought to be focusing on is not do I have this, what's it called, but rather on strengthening and distributing grace to others. So, so what, is that? what does that mean then? It means that you start loving and serving people. And as you begin to serve and love those around you, the gifts of the Spirit will begin to manifest themselves as you have need of them. When I was first born again and then baptized and filled with the Spirit— uh, I just started looking for opportunities to love and serve people. And I found myself very often having these like words come out of my mouth. I'm 16, right? So there's nothing like good that comes out of a 16-year-old's mouth. But there's these, these words started coming out of my mouth that would like build up people and I'd find them like strengthened and, and they were like pushed and motivated on to like to pursue whatever they were doing. I was a 16-year-old. I didn't know even what the word encouragement meant. And when I met my wife... She was uh, 16. I was 17 a year later. She used to always call me her Barnabas. And I was like, Barna who? Like that's that's the purple dinosaur. Who is that? Who's Barnabas? Right? (laughs) And she, I found out later that Barnabas meant son of encouragement. She was identifying in me. This spiritual gift that I didn't know I had. It. I didn't know what it was called. I didn't know I had it. I just noticed like, whoa, that came out of my mouth. That person was like super uplifted and built up. And there's no, I don't have the like knowledge to be able to do that. Right? She was identifying in me this spiritual gift. Same thing happened with, with words of wisdom. I'd be in some counseling session with a couple who was 20 years older than me. And, 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 and wisdom would begin to flow out of my mouth for a way forward. That there would be like an answer. There would be like a solution. And it wasn't because of my own ingenuity. I didn't even finish college, you know what I mean? It wasn't because of my own ingenuity or like, oh, I got life experience. It was the Spirit of God, the wisdom of God coming and flowing through me, working through me through a word of wisdom by the power of the Spirit to accomplish His purpose. The point is, I just began to look for ways to love and help people around me. And as I began to obey what Jesus said, love your neighbor— all of a sudden, the gifts began to be manifest in my life as I had need of them. The gifts will begin to appear as you begin to offer yourself as an instrument to bring about faith and joy in people's lives. The problem is, that is often not the case. We are often so self-consumed that we rarely get outside of ourselves long enough to want to bring about uh, out faith and joy in other people. And so many of us rarely, if ever, see the gifts of the Spirit manifest in our lives, at least not in the way that God intended them to be. But when we do get outside of ourselves, the gifts will start to show up. So it's, it's really more about having a heart to participate. You're like, dude, I want to see that. Like, I want the gift of encouragement, the gift of wisdom. Or I want the gift of healing to be working through me. Start looking for opportunity to serve and love and strengthen the faith of brothers and sisters. The gifts will become evident as we do so. Now, does it matter if I know what they are or what they call or what I have? I'll say this. It can be helpful to identify those things for the purpose of having boldness and confidence to walk in them and to use them without thinking like, Is this just me? Is this just my power? But knowing, dude, God God has anointed me for this. God has given me this for his glory. But is it so necessary that you should mold over it or take a test? I, I don't think so. Number seven, what are some hindrances to receiving or walking in the gifts of the Spirit? Spiritual gifts are gifts, which means there's nothing you can do to earn them or deserve them. But they are gifts, which means that there has to be some kind of receiving involved. It means that our hearts and our lives need to be in a place of receiving in order to at least fully walk in these things. And you know in your life that there can be hindrances to us receiving even the best things in life. For instance, like a lack of humility. No humility chances are you're probably not going to be able to receive much if anything at all you may need an suv in your life a nice one maybe you're like i got a lot of kids i got a lot of stuff to do i got a lot of surfboards whatever i need i need an suv i have a toyota sequoia it's nice i may want to give you as a gift my toyota sequoia baby i'm just playing it's just a it's just actually, I think, she, I think she was like this. Do it, baby. Give it away. I may want to give you our Toyota Sequoia, but here's the deal. Because of your self-reliance, your arrogance, your pride, you may not receive the Sequoia. There is humility required in order to receive and to walk. The gifts are a gift of grace we just read. But you know what the Bible says? God gives grace to the humble, but the proud he resists. The second thing that can hinder us from receiving and fully walking in the gifts is an unwillingness to surrender. No surrender, how will you walk in all that God has for you? The first time a spiritual gift was given in the Bible is in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit fell upon the 120 and they all began to speak in other tongues. One of the gifts we will talk about in coming weeks. But what was the backdrop to this event? And what was the attitude of heart that these people had when the Spirit fell upon them? Many things, but one of them was there was an attitude of surrender. There was a giving up of control. Many of them had quit their jobs— Many of them had laid everything, or they had all laid everything on the line. They knew that just by gathering, singing songs, talking about Jesus, their very lives were at risk. They had given up their plans, and they had given over control of their lives, and they were ready and willing and waiting for whatever God wanted to do in and through them. And listen, when I look at this, I'm like, gosh, I don't know about you, but m- most, if not all of the time, I wake up so consumed with my plans and my agenda and what I think needs to get done and what I want to get done that there is very, very little space in my heart, in my mind, in my schedule for God to possibly do something drastically different in my life that day. But this was not the case with these men and women. They were ready and waiting for God to move, speak, lead. And it is into this scene That God enters and pours out his spirit. They were in a place of being ready and willing to receive. They were in this place of surrender, having given up control. I said this a month ago when we were talking about, uh, I think, being filled with the spirit. That many of us are not experiencing the power of God in our lives because we're simply not willing to fully give up control and let God do whatever he wants to. It's like we're sitting in the driver's seat and Jesus is in the passenger seat. And we're like hands on the wheel, and we're like, Lord, whatever you wanna do, wherever you wanna go, Jesus, lead on. Jesus, take the wheel, no, don't take the wheel, but Jesus, lead on, right? And He's like, do I, I'll drive. I'm, I'm the driver, you know that, right? Like, we're supposed to switch. I've been on the road before. I know where it goes. I can drive with my eyes closed. I don't even have to fill up the tank and gas. I'm not going to fall asleep. I'm going to get there quicker. It's going to be more joyful. Are you going to let me drive? Are you? And we're like, no, Lord, but I'm going to keep it here. But whatever you want to do, Lord, what do you want to do in my life, God? Whatever you... That's not how it works. Listen, God, Jesus is not some co-pilot that we rely on when we need a little help or guidance. He is our guidance. Jesus is our life. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. My life is not my own, for I was purchased at a price. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. Take up your your cross, the instrument of death. You must let your control of your life die in order to follow Jesus. Jesus. The way to abundant life is surrender. Listen, guys, there's only, I'm saying this to myself too, there's only one way to follow Jesus and it's not from the driver's seat. It is not from the driver's seat. That is not following Jesus. That is some second rate version of something reminiscent to following Jesus. It's like me looking at a, a painting of a peach and being like, mm, that tastes good. <laughs> like that's what that is. That's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a counterfeit. It's some second-rate version. It's not the real thing. It's not abundant life. Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you must lose it. Listen, this is heavy to say. I need to say it for myself. But we can't keep our lives, or keep control, rather, of our lives and follow Jesus. What? Hold on. Let me say it again. We can't keep our lives, or rather control of our lives, and follow Jesus. The two, it's like oil and water. It's one or the other. The two do not go hand in hand. And this also goes for those of us who find ourselves in very religious activities with maybe big Bibles or big iPhones with big Bible apps on them. (laughs) Who listen to a lot of sermons and always have worship music playing in our cars and in our houses but you have no power. This goes for you too. Until we give up control, like A.W. Tozer says in his book, Tragedy in the Church, until we are willing to be owned and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, until we throw ourselves in desperation into the hands, the arms of God, we will never experience all that God has for us. Lastly, what can hinder Receiving and fully walking in is to have no heart of love and service. Because the gifts are given primarily for the benefit of others. They are tools given to strengthen the faith and bring grace to others. But if we have no desire to see the body strengthened and built up, then why would we get the gifts? So if we choose to isolate, live isolated and self-consumed lives that are not looking to build up and stir up faith in others then we have no need for the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts are given so that each member, each body part, has special unction to perform the task, their task, in the body. The next question is super quick, but I'll ask, or ask it because it gets asked. Um, once I receive a gift of the Spirit, will I have it forever? Yes, usually. Usually. Uh, I don't have some airtight biblical answer for this, but it seems, and my experience has been, and other Christians' experience has been, that sometimes God gives a gift just for a moment, for a specific situation where there is a specific need. But generally, yes, if you have the gift of healing, generally speaking, when you pray for people, the healing power of God is going to work through you, and people are going to be healed. But like I said, It appears that sometimes God will just drop a gift on somebody for a specific need at a specific moment right there in that time for a specific duration of time. Remember, the gifts are given to be used. And so as a need appears, a new gift might appear. And then you might not see it again until there is that need again. Last question. Don't get too happy. It's kind of a long one. Uh, (laughs) What? Once I have a gift of the Spirit, is there instructions? AKA, is there a right way to use this thing? It might sound silly, but the answer is yes, there is. And we'll get into some of the specific guidelines and instructions for specific gifts in the coming weeks. But in general, the way that we ought to approach the gifts that you have, you've got gifts. Everybody in here has got gifts. Some of you know what they're called. Some of you don't. But the way that we ought to use them, first of all, is by faith through grace. Grace. We read it earlier, but in 1 Peter 4, there are two categories of gifts referenced, word-oriented gifts and deed-oriented gifts, and both require faith and grace. For those who speak the word-oriented gifts, let him speak as the oracles of God. And so if you have a word-oriented gift like teaching or uh, evangelism or prophecy or words of knowledge or words of wisdom or encouragement, do not rely on your own insight or study, but look to God for his insight to work through you. Don't rely on your own experience, but look to God for him to work through you because we only can impart grace to the listener if we give that which is from God. And if you have a deed-oriented gift like hospitality or administration or mercy or helps or healing, then Peter tells us there in 1 Peter to do it with the strength that God supplies. In other words, you could attempt to do a bunch of that stuff and maybe kind of do it in your own strength, but don't. For then your gift will cease to be a spiritual gift. <clears throat> spiritual gift must come from faith and reliance on grace. Grace. And only then can grace be distributed to other people through that gift. How else ought we to approach and use the gifts? By preferring one another in love. In writing to the Roman church about how the gifts ought to be used, Paul says, And be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. That means for those of you, me, who have deed-oriented gifts, that we allow somebody else to maybe use their gifts, allow them to to take the lead even. those of us who have word-oriented gifts, that means that maybe we are slower to speak and quicker to listen more often. When in doubt, let your love, let the love, let love direct your actions. The gifts are also to be used decently and in order, as it says in 1 Corinthians 14. For God is not the author of confusion talk about this uh, more when we talk specifically about the gift of tongues. The last instruction I would give is use your gifts. Just use them, right? That's what Paul says. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, prophesy in proportion to your faith, guys. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in exhortation. The one who contributes, do it with generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, do it with cheerfulness. But use the gifts. They were given to be used. Remember, in the kingdom of God, all things are given so that they can be given. And we only receive more grace, more faith, more opportunity, when we are faithful with that which God has given us right now. And are we going to make mistakes, man? Are we going to miss it sometimes? Yeah, we're going to miss it. But you know what somebody once said? If you haven't failed, then you just, you just haven't tried long enough. You're going to miss it sometimes. Sometimes you're going to be like, dude, I, I, I think I have a word for this person. And you're going to go and you're going to give it. And you're going to be humble, right? Because you're going to be preferring one another and you're going to be doing it in love. You're going to be humble and you will to be like, I, I believe God's saying this. And they're going to come back to you in a week and be like, that was not the Lord, dude. And you're going to be like, I missed it. And that person's going to be like, I love you. And the next time they come and say, I have a word, you're not going to be like, nah, 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 nah. You got one chance. Right? You're going to be like, okay, yeah. Right? We're not going to hit it all the time. We're not, but we're going we're gonna to grow. We're going to grow as we use our gifts. We're going to tune into more like, "Ah, oh, nah, nah, nah. That wasn't the Lord. That was the lunch I ate. You know, we're going to start to understand that stuff. <laughs> But you'll never know unless you start using the gifts. And we let that love cover a multitude of sin, as as 1 Peter 4 says, speaking about gifts. He says, let your love cover a multitude of sin. So it's like this. If you know what your gifts are, man, use them. If you don't know, that's all right. Start serving people. The gifts will appear. A couple of years ago, I'll end with this. uh, I had some very... Acute, heavy stress for about a year straight, like every moment of every day for a year, after which time my whole body just crashed. I woke up one day, I l- literally couldn't walk. I went to the gym and like just put on like a normal what I would put on a barbell and couldn't even get it off my chest one time. You know it was like my body was just crashing, my adrenal glands stopped working properly, and so because I was getting no it no, wasn't the right level of cortisol, any tiny little thing like my, my son would just go. Eh! I'd immediately get anxious. I was living in anxiety. My thyroid stopped working, so I gained a bunch of weight. I couldn't stand up for more than 10 minutes without all of my resources being like, you have to sit down. I couldn't have a conversation with somebody unless I was sitting down. I couldn't play shows unless I was sitting down. I couldn't write songs properly. My body was not working properly properly. And so I couldn't do what I needed to do. I couldn't be the dad or the husband I needed to be. I couldn't be the songwriter or musician that I needed to be. I couldn't do what I'm supposed to do. That is what the body is like when we're not all using our gifts, when we're not walking in faith by grace using our gifts. It's emancipated. It's tired. We're not getting anything done. It's boring. Have you ever felt like in the Christian life and Christian community just like, this is just boring. Like a movie's more entertaining than this. That is not the way God intended Christianity to be and the Christian community to be. But contrast that with the couple of years leading up to that. I had, like, my diet was dialed in. I was eating this, like, high-fat, good fat, avocados coconut oil and stuff like that, low-carb diet. All of a sudden, my brain got all clear. I was like, "Woo!" I was, like, "Feel like I could operate on, like, four hours of sleep. I was writing songs. I was riding my bike 30 miles. I had gained 20 pounds of muscle, lost 40 pounds of fat. I felt like a million bucks. I was like, baby, what else do you need me to do? What? I'll do something. Give me something else to do. Right? I was looking for, like, extra stuff to do. I was operating like full capacity. You've been there, maybe not, but maybe you've been there where you feel like, ah, this is amazing. That's how the body was intended to be, and that's how it is when we all start doing our stuff. We're all members, right? Doesn't that sound like a nice existence? It's alive. It's fruitful. We're doing what God called us to do. That is how God intended it. We might even have to stop asking for volunteers at church if everybody started using their gifts. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine? Just one little thing right here. Can you imagine if people just half the time started using their gifts? Just half. Imagine a person with the gift of helps. You drive by that person on the side of the road. And you're like, I have to help them. I'm going to allow the Spirit of God to move me to help them. And you show up carrying with you the presence of God. All of a sudden, this person who's never encountered the presence of God, all of a sudden, just you being there is like, what's happening? The Lord's here. Just because you're going to help some dude who broke over on the side of the road or the mom coming out of Trader Joe's, a single mom, bunch of kids, you're just like, I got to help her. It's more important than me being five minutes early in this thing I'm going to. I'm going to go and help by the power of the Spirit. All of a sudden, she's encountering the, the presence of God. Because you're just like rocking in your gift. Or you got the gift of healing and you just got outside of yourself, got over the fear of what happens if they don't get healed or I look like a freaking idiot. If you just got over that and all of a sudden, what if people at your workplace started getting healed? What if like the person in the Target parking lot all of a sudden got like fixed their thing? Like What? That's, what, that's the kind of stuff that God intended to be happening when he said, let the king, pray, pray for the kingdom to come. Those are the kingdom types of things that God wants to do, and he wants to do it through you. Everything God wants to do in the world, he intends to do through us. Wait a minute. What? Yes. Everything God wants to do in the world, he intends to do through us. He does not work independent of us, but rather through us. I know it's crazy. But that is the kind of abundant life that you were born into. And that is the kingdom come. And that's what Jesus meant when he said pray. Father, let your kingdom come. Somebody say amen. 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 Lord, I want to pray like you taught us to Jesus. Father, your name is holy. You are set apart and other. And all alone, glorious and magnificent and perfect in and of yourself. Father, let your perfect, glorious, powerful, living kingdom come. Let your perfect, peaceful will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, you have saved us for so much more than most of us are walking in. And I ask right now, you'd shut up the voice of condemnation who's saying, like, you got to do better. That's not what you're saying, Lord. If you're hearing that voice, that's, that's the devil. That's not the, en- that's not the Lord. That's the enemy. The Lord says you were destined for better. <laughs> you don't need to do better. Jesus did the best. You don't need to do anything. You need to... Surrender maybe, give up. You know, humble yourself maybe. Allow God to do his best in your life. So that's you. That's what this time right now is designed for. That's why we do this second set of worship. It is designed for us to respond now to those things that God is moving, speaking to us. And this time is designed for you to say, Lord, here I am, I need to come and I wanna surrender, I wanna humble myself. That's why we have these carpets, for instance, up at the front, so that you can take a posture of whatever you need to take, a posture of humility, a posture of surrender. The prayer team is on the right and the left because they wanna help. They wanna help, they wanna be led by the Spirit and pray for you as you have need. Whatever your need is today, whatever your need is today, Go and ask, humble yourself and say, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? And communion elements are up here for the Christian to come, take the bread, dip it in the cup, and remember what Christ has done, his finished work on the cross.